woman's allowed to talk, is that it? You can't talk? No, you intimidate them. Good God, you're a woman. <laughs> is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? I humbly present the Jericho. Tony Stark. Now you work for me. What are you building, Stark? Your eyes are red. Your tears for your long lost boss. Tears of joy. I hate job hunting. Yeah, vacation's over. Welcome home, sir. Put up the scanner, will you? What happened over there? I have my eyes open. I want to protect the people. I put in harm's way. A man with a dozen of these can rule all of Asia. Yeah, I can fly. Let's see if this dog can hunt. So the upgrade is complete. Tell you what, throw a little hot rod red in there. Damn. Good luck keeping up. What's going on here? Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. There's been speculation that I'm parading around as a superhero. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. Hello and welcome, welcome to episode 21 of Film Real Cast. Today we're reviewing John Favreau's Iron Man 2008, starring Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Terence Howard as Rhodey, Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane, and Gwyneth Paltrow as the famous Pepper Potts. As usual, I am joined by Graham. How are you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. All good. Looking forward to this. So am I very much so. And I believe, James, you're there as well. How are you doing? Finally, I'm here. Yeah, apologies for the wait, but I'm here. It's always worth it, mate. It's always oh, worth it. I don't know it. about that. But Iron, Iron Man. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Another superhero film. Exactly. But- there you go. I think Stu and I have never hidden the fact that we like it. Stu's a mega fan, so if he gets one of his facts wrong, he absolutely deserves as much abuse on either Twitter <laughs> and anything on email or anything like that Facebook. He deserves it this time. He's got no excuse, Stu. So there is no pressure at all, is there? It's uh, no. I, I'm not a. Um, I'm not an Iron Man comic buff. I, I never was, and uh, I mean, before I went to the cinema to see Iron Man. I didn't really know anything about him, to be honest. It was just yeah. the fact that as soon as I went to see Iron Man, I came out of the cinema, and that was it. I was an Iron Man fan. I was a Marvel fan, and I just couldn't get enough. I needed to know more about Iron Man. What about you guys? Well, I never saw it in the cinema for some reason. I can't remember what the reason was. But um, I got on, well, I thought I had it on DVD, but seen it so many times. It's a great film, I think. It but, is. Yeah. You know, as a, you know, it's my first, first experience is by watching it on a small screen. And uh, yeah, never seen, never seen the uh, comics, but um, yeah, it's, um, 
certainly a good film, but I'll let you go into that in more detail, Stu, as I sure you will. I, I will indeed. What about yourself, James? Did you see it at the cinema or not really? No, I saw it on DVD, I think, uh, just when it came out. And I, I wasn't really a fan of Iron Man. I was like, whatever. Robert Downey Jr., I wasn't really a fan of. Um, I'm still not to a certain degree. However, what he was that film, he was just so brilliant. He was made for that role, wasn't he, really? And I thought that film was so good. It was such a good origin story. It did so many, it did so many things right. And I think the Iron Man thing almost rebooted the whole superhero genre of, of, of films and basically said, you know, once again, we can take these, uh, we can take these seriously. Because I think Spider-Man 3... I think that that obviously came out before it kind of ruined. It was such a disaster, wasn't it, um, uh, yeah. for, for Marvel? And, and and I think this thing really gave it a new reboot. And it was arguably one of the, one of the, one of the first really solid films on the road to the eventual Avengers. For uh, you know the Avengers film. And now this thing has become a massive franchise, hasn't it? Oh, it's absolutely huge. And I mean, what did you think of it? With regards to an origin story compared to, um, I mean, uh, we'll go with Richard Donner's Superman and. Because the other was uh, shocking, as we know and discussed. Uh, the origin for Superman, the origin for Spider-Man, and uh, how did you kind of compare the this origin story compared to the others and Batman as well, with regards to the uh, Nolan trilogy? I, th- I think it's up there. I think it holds its own. You, I, I honestly think you can talk about Iron Man in the same breath as the Donna, you know, the original Superman, the Donna Superman, and obviously the, uh, the you know, Batman Begins, the first of the dark of the Dark Knight trilogy. It's a, such an enjoyable, it's such an enjoyable um, f- film. And what what I like about it, unlike, arguably unlike, for example, the Batman where it, where it is dark, it's shot very much like, a, like, like you know, it just feels comic book I, I don't really have to expect the colors they use uh, and the way the, sh- the you know the shots are action you can almost imagine them being on a page as well which i think is absolutely fantastic yeah i think it's also when i kind of when you look at it i mean the gamble of um john favreau of directing such a it's absolutely huge and when you look before the films i mean he's got elf um obviously iron man one iron man two cowboys and aliens i mean when you look at the credits and uh, the portfolio he's got of movies, he's not really done any origin films um, to the standard of what Marvel were expecting. So, I mean, the gamble certainly paid off. And I kind of think now, would they go back to an unknown directing an origin story for Marvel or for DC, or because there's so much investment, would they just go with a, a top name? I mean, they were thinking of Quentin Tarantino. That was a name mentioned to do this. I think they would, because if you remember at the time, Iron Man was very much, not now, I think, thanks to, to this film, was very much a B-list superhero. I mean, he wasn't a Spider-Man, he wasn't a Superman, he wasn't a Batman, he wasn't an X-Man. He was like in the in, in the lower tick, you know, the, the category behind it, if, if you're cold and honest about it. Even in terms of the comic book sales, you know, he wasn't, it was, it was no match for Spider-Man. Having said that, after this film and the series of film and going to the Avengers, you could even argue in the Avengers, He's one. I know Captain America is meant to be the leader, but I, I mean, I think out of all of the Avengers, I think you take Iron Man out and and, uh, and you take the soul of the Avengers film out. Essentially, that's how important I think he's become. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's interesting through the first film for, for when they were doing it that um, Terrence Howard was uh, paid a lot more money than um, than Robert Downey Jr. was in the first film. I mean, and he was uh, he obviously wasn't such a risk because uh, I keep calling him Tony Stark. They're such one of the same characters, but 
um, Robert Downey Jr. was obviously quite risky to uh, to employ at the time, wasn't he, with his drug and alcohol um, problems that he had? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But once again, I'm, I mean, you, you could argue that with Batman Begins and even the original Superman, they took so many risks. And, and let's be honest, I mean, you know, there are times when those risks pay off. I mean, look at Star Wars. You look at the, all those great films. They're the ones that, that took the risk and they're the ones that, that, that pay off. They didn't play it safe. And, it, you know, it really really shows in a good light yeah i think it's brilliant i mean should i go ahead with a plot summary go for it Stu. excellent stuff uh tony stark is a complete playboy and also happens he's a uh, engineering genius while in afghanistan demonstrating the new jericho missile he's captured by raza who's a leader of the ten rings his captors wanting to assemble a jericho missile but instead he creates a suit of armor with his means to escape death Meanwhile, he's in the cave with Jensen, who's a doctor who's also been captured, who places a magnet on his heart to take the uh, pits of shrapnel away to stop him from dying. He uses the armoured suit to escape, and back in the USA, he announces that his company, Stark Enterprises, will stop making weapons and begin uh, where he begins updating the suit. This goes against what Obadiah Stain, played by Jeff Bridges, wants. Stark then soon realises that Stain has been selling weapons under the table, which are killing Americans. From this, Stark then takes things into his own hands and gets revenge, I suppose, and goes against Stain and uh, saves Pepper Potts. We'll be going into more details and we'll go through the story a lot, lot more detail as we go through this podcast. But that's basically the uh, the general gist of the story. And uh, Jeff Bridges, who's really good, makes a, quite a good suit of armour. Isn't it at the end? I quite like that. But we'll go to that. I'm skipping ahead. I'm very excited. Yes. This <laughs> big way for Graham to say something then. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It is. Um, basically, I mean, I mean, you've got uh, basically this massive U-turn in Robert Downey Jr.'s character. And that's what I mean. That's what I think makes him so great. He was like almost at the beginning. And the, the way you look at it, he's almost an, a likable villain. Uh, obviously, and until he gets captured and, and makes and makes that U turn, I don't know what you two thought. Well, yeah, he's obviously he's a, a, he is a villain because he's a, a, the way he um, not makes weapons and stuff. But I don't really think he's too much of a villain. It's a bit of a maybe a bit of a dark side to the character at the beginning. Um, obviously, just before he gets captured and stuff. But it's more of a a kind of um, playboy kind of image that he portrays more than more than a villain, as you know, enjoying the money he's making out of. Uh, so much destruction and stuff in the world. Now he stands there as if, um, you know, playing God when he's demonstrating that Jericho missile. But then he, you know, when the wave comes along, knocks him off his feet. And then he walks past, opens up a case, and uh, it just happens to be, a bot- uh, you know, full of uh, alcohol. And he says, uh, yeah, one of these with the uh, 10,000 purchases. I think it's quite funny. But it's, I, I wouldn't quite say he's a villain as such. No, but he's bought... I mean, the, the, way, the way he treats it, he's obviously the, this, this arms dealer... And he, he, I mean, his character is quite likable, but what he's doing is, I mean, I'm oh yeah, what, what he's doing is not, yeah, it's not likable, yeah. is it? But you know, he's, I think Robbie Downey Jr. plays it really well um, because he's still got that kind of swagger, the attitude that goes with it, but it's not overpowering. But it still, you know, provides that. Well, this is kind of what my dad did. This is what I've built my career to do. So you know, I'm continuing with it until he has his epiphany. 
you know, in a couple of minutes. Oh, yeah, and, and the idea, Ben, I think if, if we see him continue down the path, obviously, before his epiphany, um, he, 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 I think he definitely would have ended up potentially a, a, a villain, whether, whether he would have liked it or not. Yeah, too much, too much kind of power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, crack on. I mean, the film starts off with a bang straight away. I mean, it starts off in Afghanistan, where they're in the convoy. Um, you've got ACDC banging out, back in black, and they're travelling along. And I love the uh, the immediate impact. You've got Robert Dowdy Jr. in the back of one of the uh, Hummers, and he calls one of the soldiers Forrest, and they want a picture with him, and he says, no, no, no pictures, no pictures. Go on then, have a picture. He says, no gang size. Go on then. And he's just completely ignorant, isn't he? He's it's brilliant character, but he's so likable as well. Yeah, it's like he's living in a little bubble, isn't it? Mm. I just think it's it's great, and I always found even throughout the film that he got my attention as soon as he was on the screen. No matter what he was doing, no matter what he was saying, he had my attention. I was just focused on what he's going to say next. Yeah, he's a very interesting character. Yeah, I, I just thought it was brilliant, and they're in the convoy. Um, and then it gets blown up. It gets the the first Hummer at the front gets blown up, and um, and then there's a massive shootout. And then you don't really know what's going on, do you? I mean, when I first saw this, again, like I usually do when I go into films, I didn't really see any trailers or read about what happened. And he gets taken, um, and then it flashes back thirty six hours to when he's in a um, well, he should be in a awards presentation, shouldn't he? Yeah, instead he's uh, at a casino. And he's got his friend Rody on there, um, Terence Howard, who's, well, saying that my friend Tony, he's been there, um, goes to give him the award and he's not there. So Obadiah goes and gets the award for him. And he says the good thing is also the bad thing about Tony is that he's always at work. And then he flicks that he's in a casino <laughs> and uh, he's got a cracking bird on each side of him. He just doesn't care, does he? And I think that's, again, from the like the story behind Tony Stark, from like in the comics when he was an alcoholic and he lost the company, and it's just the actual story of Robert Downey Jr.'s life, isn't it? That he was at the top after Chaplin, and then he went on drugs and alcohol, and then he lost what he had, he'd lost his reputation, and, and a lot of the, the lines he was doing through this film, he was out living, and he just made them up. He just had a general direction, and he just went for it. And, and I just think that's cracking. I think it's it's so. Where does it stop from being Robert Downey Jr. to Tony Stark, and the other way around? And I think that's what's so likable about him. Well, like life imitating art, imitating life, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, you and you mentioned that, and we have these this important character building that the audience sees quite clearly uh, throughout the film, but particularly at the beginning. Um, when we see his motivations, what he cares about, obviously when Graham mentioned his epiphany, this is exactly, and this is fantastic, and this is exactly what was wrong, for example, with Man of Steel, which is a bad superhero film, because it didn't really do any of that. It, it basically, it's humanising the character, making us understand it, making us see why, potentially why he does that, what he's like, and what he, and what he cares about. Um, and, I th- and that's so important, I think, especially in, in a superhero or- origin story, because once again, Iron Man, not, many, not that many people know who Iron Man really is. They know he's a superhero, but they don't really know who Tony Stark is. And in a funny way, kind of like a synonymous that James Bond, Sean Connery, Tony Stark, I immediately think Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, exactly. And 
that's it. And also what I liked about this film was when they were at the award ceremony, that because it obviously being an origin story and a lot of people don't know anything about or going into the film back in 2008 and not know a lot about Stark and Iron Man, was that on the build-up um, to when Stark was going to get the award, they said that um, his mum and dad, uh, Howard Stark and Maria Stark, died at Long Island in a um, car accident back in 1991. So there's your origin there. And at 21, he returned um, and joined Obadiah to run Stark Enterprises and to be the CEO. And which is what I like, it's so quick. You get updated really fast with what's actually happened and you're bang up to present time. And I think that's really good, especially in an origin story. A lot of the time you don't need uh, an hour's build-up in a two-and-a-half-hour film just to get to the point. And here it's done really fast. And for me, that's all I needed. Yeah, so he um, obviously gives his award away as he leaves, which is Tony Stark all over. He really doesn't care for awards. He doesn't care for... He just wants to have a good time. And when he leaves, he meets Christine Eberhardt from Vanity Fair. Um, she calls him the merchant of death and war profiteering and she's really trying to get a story out of him and he's just being himself he just doesn't care he's his angle is just trying to chat her up isn't it and he comes out with these one-liners and she said do you practice that and he says yeah i stand in front of the mirror for hours and uh he ends up taking her back and uh <laughs> having sex with her which is it's just great because that is Downey Jr. and Tony Stark all over. I, I really, really thought that was funny. It is, isn't it? Is he right though? Is not he? Is she right in terms of? Do you, do you think he's a war one? Did you think at that time he was a war merchant? Uh, I think he was ignorant to what was happening and where his weapons were going. You say ignorant, or didn't? Or he just didn't care? No, I just I think he just generally didn't know because you saw that when he came out of the cave um, when he was in Afghanistan and. He was presented with all his weapons and he was pretty shocked. And obviously he got the reaction later on when he realised when Pepper Potts downloaded the information that um, Obadiah has been dealing arms under the table um, to uh, soldiers in Afghanistan like Raza um, and all the Ten Rings. And that obviously he wanted to take like positive action about it. So I honestly don't think he knew anything about it. I knew, obviously he was selling weapons, yeah. but... He wanted to sell the best weapons, and he was. He was intelligent, and he knows that. So I think that's the reason why he was so cocky. Yeah, absolutely. Graham? Quite enjoyed the money. Yep, that's about here. Carry on. Yeah, and and he quite enjoyed the money, so... Yeah, but in the next scene, we're introduced to, obviously, Pepper Potts, Gwyneth Paltrow, when Christine wakes up. She tries to uh, kind of... she basically walks around uh, Stark's place just having a nose and she gets woken up by Jarvis um, who tells her that she, she's not authorised to go in that part of the building and Pepper walks in and she says, so you're the famous Pepper Potts. Do you do everything, Tony says. And I love the line she comes back. She goes, yes, I do. I do whatever Mr. Stark wants, including taking out the trash. And I thought that was good. And I thought Gwyneth Paltrow in this was really, really good. I mean, she's not a, a female who's famous for roles in action films, is she? But I thought in this film, she looked very comfortable and very at ease, and I thought she was very good. I thought she was quite good. And what I thought, she was a very human character in, t- in, in terms of... Um, she wasn't, like, stunning, let's say, y- you know. Um, and, 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 she, and she cared. And she, obviously, she, wasn't, she was nowhere near 
she was she was no one knowing it ugly. But I think you you ended up seeing you saw straight. It's really confusing to try and say. She was the kind of person you know, like when you fall in love with someone's personality, you fall in love with them as a person. Yeah, and, and down the line, and, and you could really, really see. Obviously, Tony Stark didn't really look at her twice, other than other than her being essentially a secretary. And you could really see and believe this relationship growing between them, which I thought was brilliant. Obviously, through this one and throughout, obviously the other Iron Man films, um, and 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 I thought she 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 brought that she brought some kind of you know like a, a more realism. She wasn't your typical bimbo bimbo secretary and she was very very clever and and we we end up throughout the next few films learning so much more about her as well yeah exactly um i thought she was a really good character i mean i like the films i mean i know shallow how got a real slate in but i thought she was really good in that she was just again she very easy on the eye in that when she was looking through jack black's eye yeah. but I, I just thought she was she was just very lovely in that. I think she's a very feminine person and she's nice to watch. So I didn't mind her in this at all. I was, I was all for it. I think she gives, I think she gives a, gives a good dynamic to it. Like yeah. the, the whole, the whole thing. I know you guys have probably said that after my, uh, Skype dropped out, but yeah, it's just that you, she just adds a, you know, different touch, that kind of bit of control maybe that he lacks. Is probably the, the 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 best thing. Um, yeah, she she's great in other films. I I would mention some chick flicks, but I'm not going to because I'll get laughed at again. Stu, do you mention Shallow How? Well, like um, sliding doors. Hey, really good... I was waiting. Yeah, he, <laughs> he took the bait. He didn't. <laughs> hook, line, and sinker, but carry. But, uh, but no, I agree, Graham. Um, I've not seen Sliding Doors, but um, it's a very good film. How, I thought she was very good in. No, but yeah, and there's also the chemistry when, obviously, in the next bit is Tony Stark's working on the hot rod, which um, in real life belongs to John Favreau, no. and she comes down. And it's her birthday, and obviously he forgot, like he uh, appears to forget every year, and she's bought herself money, and you get that instant chemistry between both of them, which is I, I think it's really nice in the film. Are we going to review a film where the director hasn't got their car in the movie somewhere? That's true. That is true, actually. Yeah, I forgot about that. Bad Boys 1 and 2, Michael Bay. And uh, this film, thankfully, this hasn't got any other Michael Bay bits on there. That There was no slow motion in this, I don't think, was there? Which makes the film. For me, it does, yeah. There was no kind of a... So, no slow motion, thumbs up from Stu. No Steven Seagal, thumbs up from Graham. So, uh, all good. All good yeah, going ahead. And, and at no time did um, Tony Stark say, shit's just got real. No, which was really good for me because that would have that would have just ruined it. Yeah, you're not well, not really fit to mention bad boys on a uh, an Iron Man podcast anyway. But. Uh, <laughs> okay, but with all the recent superhero like you got the Winter Soldier, we have the Avengers, Iron Man, Iron Man, obviously two, two and three, um, the new Amazing Spider Man. This was uh, 2008, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you think uh, are, are you both of the impression that it absolutely still holds up today. I know it wasn't as long ago as some of the films we have reviewed, but do you think it still holds today, somewhat, uh, six years later? Yes. Yeah, I do, yeah. without any doubt, in storyline and in special effects, everything, I think it holds up 100%, yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay, never mind, just wanted to get your thoughts quickly, before I forgot. Yeah, what do you think, James? I didn't hear what you said, mate. I said yes. I said absolutely yes. And Graham? Yeah, I, I think it does hold up, you know, because as you said, the special effects are there, the storyline 
is is really really good, and yeah, just I think it is definitely a timeless one. It is like watching um, Captain America. You know, I really enjoyed that, and I could watch it over and over again. Uh, And you know, a lot of the I think a lot of the superhero films, especially the ones we've done so far, have been like that. All right, with the exception of Man of Steel, maybe. But it's more like a, it's more like you know, like a, you know, Batman. You can go and watch that again and again and again. Any of them, um, and Iron Man's exactly the same. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think so far, apart from maybe Second Thor: The Dark World, I think they've done a fantastic job and they've knocked it out of the park with all of the um, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. I think they've been brilliant, and you can add um, Guardians of the Galaxy in there as well, 100%. I thought that was just a fantastic film. I mean, my expectations are so high now when I do go and see the uh, any of the Marvel franchise films that they are going to be of such a high standard. So uh, I think, well, I hope that I don't, I'm not disappointed with uh, the third um, Captain America film and the uh, Age of Ultron when they do the next Avengers film because my expectations are extremely high. So uh, I don't know about you guys, what, what you think of that. Well, is that, is, that going to ruin, is that going to ruin it for you, having those such high expectations going into any of the movies now because of how good the rest have been? Because, it's, you know, how can they sustain that for forever, for want of a better word? Do I don't know, because they've got, I mean, until 2028, they, whether that's going to be extended again, that they're going to be doing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And... I I really don't know. I mean, and that's I try and kind of help my expectations by not seeing any trailers or finding out any spoilers about a film and just going into it completely fresh. Um, but I really don't know. But they've done such a good job so far. I mean, it's bound to be the odd film. Um, I don't know if they do Ant Man or something like that. I don't know anything about Ant Man really, so I could go away enjoying that. But at the moment, I'm expecting a a fantastic come out of the cinema I would happily see it again straight away film for, for everything that Marvel are doing at the moment yeah, uh, yeah but for something uh, back, back on track of the film so when he's talking to um, to Pepper Potts she was wanting him to get the plane because he's going over to Afghanistan again to do a, uh, a missile presentation for the Jericho and that's when we meet his uh, us, what would you say Happy Hogan is would you say he's his driver or his bodyguard I would say he's bodyguard or driver. Well, yeah. both really. He's, 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 you know, he's not really defined, but he's always there, and, and he's always there, kind of like the background. So I guess he's kind of probably a driver, bodyguard, you know, type person. Yeah, yeah. And um, so they're racing over to uh, to the plane. Obviously, they're hours and hours late anyway. But as Tony Stark says that when I own my own plane, I expect you to hang around for uh, when I want to go, not when I'm told for it to go. So they get on the plane together, and uh, Rhodey's not too impressed. But I think that's a really good scene on the plane, and the relationship between Rhodey and Tony Stark. That are they are they friends or are they acquaintances through business? Because obviously Stark's making the weapons, and uh, Rhodey's buying them or testing them out um, for the U.S. government. And I wonder whether they've just got a business relationship or whether they are friends on a, a personal level. I, I, think it probably, I think it probably develops onto friends on a personal level, doesn't it, as the film goes on. But it's good, a good start to good character development of one of the main characters, I think. Yeah, and I think the character development through all of this film, I think it's really, really good. I think 
everyone has kind of their own character arc and I think it's all done really well through everyone and as I said back at the start they lay the story out and the characters out and the background of a lot of people out really fast and they just tell you what needs to be said and that's it then they move on and I think that's why this film is so good because of the pace like that is carried on all the way through the film yeah oh yeah so yeah introdu- introduction you know they're there right let's go next thing yeah I think it, no, it's really really good but then there's a development throughout the whole film as well so it's not just that that small little bit you see like the small you know small little developments as, as the film goes on yeah and I love that on a plane where Stark's just all about partying because obviously they've got quite a long journey to Afghanistan and Rhodes doesn't want to drink, just wants to talk business, and that's it. Then the next clip you see, you have three <laughs> fish stewardesses who have got, got their shirts all tied up, and they're it's all like dancing. Like being on a virgin plane. Oh man! And then a, <laughs> uh, a pole comes up, and uh, well, it's, the rest is left to your imagination of uh, what happens next. But I, I've got a rough idea of what happens. I, I'm innocent, mate. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> So they go to a Bagram Air Base where Stark does a presentation for the Jericho missile. I mean, I, I thought that, I don't know if a rockets like that actually do exist, but that's one hell of a rocket, isn't it? Yes. Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want that coming towards you, would you? Um, I think with the idea being that he basically, because he, he obviously mentions the, the caves and a lot of the people that America's targeting at that time were, 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 were caves, the way it obviously spreads out, you know? Um, mm. And completely just almost just destroys the surface and stuff, uh, and obviously, it, it, obviously the whole Jericho missile etc. plays heavily into the storyline one way or another later. Yeah, and I think it's what helps this. Apart from it being a, a fucking amazing film, what helps this film? I think that even now, in 2014, it is still so topical because <laughs> obviously, in the original one, it was in Vietnam where he got captured um, and where he escaped obviously that wouldn't be very topical and you couldn't do a film like that now for current day. But the, the fact that it's obviously a reference to Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they don't, they don't say it, but uh, it's a bit like, you know, read between the lines kind of thing. Yeah, oh, with the caves yeah, and the mountains. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of wonder whether that's a brave decision of picking that or whether it was a wise decision because it was so topical at the time. I don't know. I mean, it's quite interesting, especially on the anniversary of nine eleven as well. That we're talking about this, obviously, where it it all started. But from the um, the presentation, uh, it then goes back to where Stark's back in the cave. Um, he's being waterboarded, and uh, he wakes up, and he doesn't. Well, he doesn't really know where he is. He's got all bandages on him, and that's when you first meet Jensen, who's the, uh, well, he's a surgeon who's been captured. And when I first watched this, I honestly thought Jensen was a double agent pretending yes. to be a prisoner. And I was waiting for something to happen that would reveal that. Obviously, you thought the same, James. What about yourself, Graham? Well, yeah, you kind of think, well, what kind of like undertone is it? Is it, a, you know, kind of like, right, we'll, we'll get him in double agent kind of thing. But I think it comes clear, quite clear quite quickly that it, it's not necessarily the case and that, you know, he is there because of his intelligence, because of his brain, and he's, he's it almost gives you that feeling that he was duped into doing it. He's duped into being there, although he might have been, you know, captured. But he, but he knows he's going to die. You know, you know, later on, a couple of minutes time. You know, he, he knows he's going to die. Yeah. He's happy with that. So it's yeah. kind of like, well, 
you know, but what was his purpose before they captured Tony Stark, or who did they capture first? You, are you just yeah, obviously it doesn't go that far, but um, you, you just don't know. But it does does give that kind of oh, what's, especially if, when you first watch it. Oh, why is he there? Um, you know, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's like you know, geeky scientist bloke, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that he makes Jensen makes a reference to that they met before at a conference. And well, I think when we watch Iron Man three, you see Jensen again at that conference because where he says that Tony Stark that you were so pissed up that. We didn't put it so politically correct like that, but you don't remember me, and I wouldn't remember you if I had drunk as much as you did. And I think it's Iron Man 3 where we see Jensen again at that conference where Stark's really pissed up. I mean, I could be wrong, it could be Iron Man 2, I don't know, but you definitely see him again, which is nice character link to the other films, but they want him to make um, the Jericho rocket, but he refuses, and obviously he gets tortured and waterboarded again, then they take him outside, and again, that's where he sees that they've just got crates and crates of um, Stark Enterprise weapons. And again, that's the reaction you get from um, Stark, and also the guns that they've got there as well. But he says, they're my guns, where did he get them from? So it's it all leads into the mistrust of where do those guns come from? I mean, did he realise then? I mean, if the guns aren't coming from Stark, they've got to be coming from Obadiah Stane, haven't they? Yeah, I don't... Th- I wonder, though, um, fast-forwarding a tiny bit, how much he really suspected. Because it, he... It didn't... There weren't too many scenes where it was obvious to me that he suspected him, obviously, until the initial, oh, yeah, it's definitely him. Well, um, I think he suspected him when he started... Um, because obviously the first that you build to escape is the Mark One. When he starts to build the Mark Two, um, he says to Jarvis just to keep it on his own uh, private yeah. folder, doesn't he? Because he doesn't he know does, who to trust. So yeah, no, that, he doesn't. Sorry, Graham. No, is that because of after his like epiphany? Then he realizes, hold on a minute, he didn't realize before. Then he has that, oh shit! They kind of they've got my they've got my weapons. How did they get them? Who's been selling them? So while he's planning his escape and creating his the first Iron Man suit, you know, he's probably just hiding in the back of his mind. He's thinking, well, how did they get him? You know, and it's it's that when he gets brought out in the light and sees the, the big ammo crates, that's what I think, that's the epiphany. That's the turning point in his mind from that playboy kind of character thinking, right, yeah, I'm doing something right, maybe selling weapons, to I'm actually doing something really wrong. Yeah, and I think Jensen, whilst they're together, really kind of humanises him that he obviously tells his story um, at the time he believes that his children have been are still alive and that after this he'll go back to them and the, the which, gesture, ha- the, which happens in, the, in one way in a, in a sad kind of way doesn't it in the end we realise yeah, yeah it does and obviously at the end of it um, we'll get to when he sacrifices life I'm, the look when Stark doesn't want him to go and he just says no wait I mean, he sacrifices himself for Stark, and I think no one's obviously ever done that to him. People usually say yes to him, and there is no arguments, but, I mean, this was a real sacrifice, and and you could see that when he was saying to Jensen, come on, I'll take you with me, and Jensen was like, no, this is my destiny, this is what I'm meant to do. And I think that was quite a poignant moment, and, and all of that, along with the weapons, was the the turning point for Stark, wasn't it? It was, yeah. and... 
it was quite because of all that happened. It was it was quite a quick U-turn for Stark, understandably so. Um, do you think that's better, or would you have preferred a slower burn U-turn throughout the filming slowly and U-turns kind of like towards the end? I mean, he pretty much U-turns in the first third of the film, doesn't he? His character. Do you think that's yeah. important, or, or or would you prefer? Or do you well, think a slow one would have been better? No, because it would have it would have taken too long, and then there wouldn't be any. You, you would have taken too long to set up him realizing what's happening. The, you know, the press conference, then you know, going on to make the the suit, doing what he's doing, um, going back to try and get rid of the weapons by you know going back to Afghanistan in the suit and all that type of stuff. That we'll go on to in a bit, but I reckon that quicker is better because it's you know you're not looking at a three hour kind of thriller. I know it's about two, two and a half hours, but you're not looking at like JFK or Green Mile. You're looking at a, a, a Marvel comic. So, you know, it's it's turned it round. It's a quick U-turn in a film thing, but it's only, what, two or three pages in a comic book. Yeah, it's four, I think it was 40 minutes until you got the action to when he escaped. And I think the the speed was spot on, to be honest. You, you didn't want to kind of him to toss and turn and torture himself about, am I doing the right thing? I think he was put in a situation where he's he's made that choice and mm-hmm. that's it. And I think that's all the film needed. I think the film does this with a lot of a lot of things happen to it through different characters really fast and that's all it takes. I mean, you could say the same about Obadiah. He starts off with like a, being a father th- um, figure to Stark to, well, planning to kill him and basically going out to Afghanistan to kill people. So... I mean, things happen really quick, but that is the pace of the film. So it, I think it worked really well. I mean, from, from then onwards, as soon as he refuses to build the Jericho, um, he then starts drawing up plans um, to build the Mark I to escape. And that's when, after that, Raza comes in and says to him, right, I need this weapons technology. You've got so much time. Um, I think you've got something like 24 hours. Yeah. And then that's it. So him and Jensen um, start building, well, a, a miniature arc reactor, don't they? Yeah. And uh, which is, I think, that's really, really good. And I, I only kind of, I wonder why. I mean, nothing in this film spoiled it for me, nothing at all. But I, I don't know why they didn't, when he built the arc reactor and they came in and Raza saw it, why they didn't question what, what you wear yeah. my missiles, you know? No one kind of said that, but again, that didn't spoil anything for me, but it was just, obviously we're here to look at the film and point out facts in the film. I mean, he seems to be able to build the art reactor and build that suit and people don't come in and check to see how you're doing. No, they don't. The, the way I almost suspended my disbelief is they don't really understand what he's doing. They just know that he can do it. And they're assuming because either they're arrogant or not, potentially through arrogance and obviously not being that clever in terms in terms of technology, um, they're just assuming he's doing it because he's scared and, you know, they'll get the result eventually. That's what I thought to myself when I was watching it because I wondered that too and that's how I explained it in my head. Yeah, I suppose you're right because at one point when they, uh, I suppose these goons are looking through the CCTV, they just say, yeah, he's working. Yeah. Yeah, because they're just going to be farmers who are now soldiers who wouldn't have a bloody clue would they no that's what yeah exactly that's what I was, but that's how I uh, came to terms with it anyway yeah and the, the suit they build is a copy of the originals I just I was looking on the internet of the original Iron Man suit from like the comics and they've really got it down I and mean, it's well worth looking yourself I'll put it on um, Twitter that 
they've got it so close to the original one that was built, and it, it just looks really, really good from what you can build in a cave to what you're given. And what, and what, <laughs> sorry, Graham. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like what he's built in a cave with all kinds of stuff after the list that he asked for. It's like, how do they get hold of it and stuff? Even, even taking apart his weaponry. I know, it's, it's like an episode of the A-Team, wasn't it? It, yeah. it is. It's like, yeah. A-Team and MacGyver would be very impressed. They, they, they would have been. And what I like about it, it's obviously um, the uh, the expression that he has on the Iron Man face it ends up being fairly similar to, obviously, the end product as well. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And so he manages to build the suit um, and they put a, a bomb on the wall and they're booting up the computer and uh, they haven't got enough time. So, as we said earlier, Jensen basically sacrifices himself to give Stark more time and... Stark makes his he makes his escape. He blows up everything. He's got rocket launches. He's got flamethrowers, and he blows up everything. Um, and then, as he's blowing up, you see him shoot into the air with his thrusters, and he escapes and he lands in the desert. And even obviously, he went so high to escape, but <laughs> at such a, a huge altitude. But even when he lands in the sand, which would do him some damage, the fact that he didn't didn't bother me at all. It didn't, it didn't take away... You. No, it didn't take away any of the enjoyment. I mean, I was with it the whole way. Yeah, because it, 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 it's one of two times where I think you could... You maybe... Uh, someone could be a bit critical of it. That time, and the other time where he was obviously... It is a very funny moment, though, when he's testing the suit, the, uh, the you know, the boosters, you know, the rockets yeah. on his legs, and he, he clearly would have killed himself, um, potentially. I think it's those two times where you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a tiny bit because it is a superhero film, you know? Um, yeah, I, I it didn't bother me, but only playing devil's advocate, it uh, it, it wouldn't. It, I could understand why it might bother someone that's potentially being overcritical. But yeah, but I think if you're gonna, if if you can take in that he can build a miniature art reactor from a cave. Um, Stu, you were saying obviously about um, the suspending disbelief, the fact that our off an Iron Man, if we, if we if we can believe that he can build a machine out of almost nothing. Um, we can believe he essentially won't die during a big fall. Isn't that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. I think if you're going to have problems with the fact that you can build a suit in a cave, then you're going to have problems throughout a lot of things in this film, aren't you? So is it not good the fact that he's, you know, essentially once he goes up in the air so far, he essentially fails, doesn't he? And then crashes down to earth. He doesn't land it. He crashes down to earth. And, you know that so that kind of although a bit of disbelief, but adds a little bit of realism because yeah, you can build it in a cave, but it just proves that you know you can't fly all the way home again. No. Yeah, and because once obviously he lands, then he walks through the desert, and then he gets rescued by or happens to get rescued by Rhodey. Again, you could look at that with a critical eye and say that's just one hell of a coincidence in the desert where. Jensen says they'll never find you here. That two helicopters fly over. It just happens to be Rhodey in there. I figured he had a it. GPS tracker on him because he's in that important. So right. uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I think uh, as with all films, we we do suspend our disbelief to a certain degree, um, as you as you were saying, through quite 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 rightly. And obviously, Tony Stark, he's rescued. Um, as, as we mentioned, by by, by Rhodey, by chance. I mean, as I said, I, I, I imagine they had a GPS tracker on him. I'd imagine, you know, surely they would have done that anyway. In the yeah, he is that important. important. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously he rescues him. And then the first, yeah, what I love is obviously you got the journey home. Uh, and what I like is the first thing he wants. It's not hospital, is it? 
Like cheeseburger. Yes, very healthy. Nice, uh, but what a place for a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I love it. cheeseburger and then press conference. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of product placement, like we pointed out in this film, through all the other films we've done as well. But in this film, product placement for LG phones, for Dell computers, for Audi cars, now, for the, Burger King. The problem with product placement, um, rather than almost making up your own technology, is it ages the film somewhat. And I know that's a, difficult me saying. I mean, I can't remember there particularly, even though it's an old film, there wasn't any product placement in the original Superman. And I, and I think the product placement there, it, I, I, I never think it's good. I never think it's a good thing. If you remember like when the Matrix there, with, with the, the Matrix phone, the flip phone, that was amazing now. It just looks old these days, doesn't it, when they're taking that out. Um, and I, and I mean, I don't know how you guys think about product placement in, in films. I, I think... To a certain extent, it's not exactly great. Cars, okay, but in terms of phones and, uh, and other pieces of technology, I just think they should completely make it up. I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. No? Uh, as long as it's not too much. But you see it in um, a couple of the Bond films. Casino Royale's a bad one. Um, you know, as I said before about that. and uh, There is a lot of it, but if you can see past it, because they've got to make some money somewhere, you, I didn't really... Obviously, I noticed logos and that type of stuff in the background, looking at it with a critical eye, but you don't really notice it as the film goes on, and you shouldn't be paying attention to that type of stuff. No, I mean, I, I noticed his LG phone and thought, okay, that's quite old now, by today's standards. Um, just being, you know, a bit of a tech tech, tech knob. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's no HTC or, or, or whatever. And I, and I think when, when they try and be blatant with those product placements, it, I think some to, for me, sometimes it takes just a tiny, tiny bit of shine, obviously, um, uh, away from away the film. From it. Yeah, it's, it's just, that's, that's just me when I'm watching it. That's all. Stu? Well, I mean, you say about the product placement in Superman, um, when they fight General Zod, I mean, he, he gets hit into a massive Coca-Cola sign and Coca-Cola paid lots of money for that as well. Ah, oh, well, yeah, that, that, of course, they did. They did, of course. They did. He gets hit into a... Yeah, yeah but that's not... Yeah, and you're right. It, it is product placement. However, uh, um, it doesn't it doesn't age the film in, in terms of... Because it's just a Coca-Cola sign. It's not uh, like, like a piece of... Like, like a phone, a technology, or arguably a so, car. You, you say that, um, but obviously, you flip, uh, the LG phone that you have with a flip screen, I just thought that's that age technology for the film. Okay. That's that's not. Oh, look at that shit product placement. That crappy LG LG um, phone that nobody ever had. I thought, all right. Well, that's just, that was just technology back then. You know, when when these type of phones first came out and stuff. That's that was the technology at the time. So if you know it's a 2008 film, when you take it for that, you know it's it's like seeing a you know like a, a James Bond car DB5. You know nowadays you you you'd be like oh well, that you know. There's better cars than that, but actually, at the time, that was the best car going. And you could say that with Bond as a good example because that is full of product placement. But you know, when they had um, Aston Martin Vantage, you know, that was one of the top cars at the time that that film came out. There's, there's loads better now, 
But you kind of look at it and you kind of go, well, that was that time. And it kind of gives it that signature of, you know, being technologically correct at the time. Okay. So, so if you're both happy with the product placement, um, uh, what, uh, just a general question then to both of you. At what point do you think does product placement become an issue and take away from the film then? I mean, I don't know if you've got any examples uh, or, or even make them up from your head. At what point would product placement for you become an issue? I, I, I Again, I go back to the, the James Bond example. And um, I think it's... Okay, Stu. Yeah, basically, and Stu, you were saying uh, about obviously the uh, product placement. Um, you, were, you, you were saying uh, I was asking at what point does it become an issue for, for I you? I think then? it depends on the film. If you've got a film that that is a very good film, um, say for instance this film or some of the James Bond films, as Jane, um, Graham was pointing out, that it can give the film a certain nostalgia if it is a very good film. If it's not so much of a good film and it's really featured heavily on product placement, it can make the film look shit and dated. So I think it does depend on the film and what kind of product placement they are doing, really. And so, and you both basically said, uh, it, in terms of Iron Man and the the product placement, it didn't take the mick, but it wasn't enough to take away from the film, in, your, in both your opinions. Oh, definitely not. No way. No, there's a, you know, there's a lot worse films out there you know and as far as product placement goes and this one no it didn't take it away from me at all you know as, as Stu said it is nostalgic almost when you go and watch it and you, it's kind of like right you know he's going to have up-to-date gadgets he's going to have up-to-date stuff because he's Tony Stark at the end of the day so he's going to be at the forefront of technology so that's what you expect and, and in 2008 he that was the forefront of technology yeah and I think you're spot on Graham with regards to the James Bond when I look back at the James Bond cars um even now, when you see the original Aston Martin with like the uh, bulletproof plate comes up at the back in the ejector seat, for me, that's a, a beautiful car still, even though it is so old. Um, it doesn't cause me any problems at all thinking this is a really old-fashioned film. I, I think it's great. So, well, yeah, I think, and I think it, on what film you you do. I know, and, and that very car made a reappearance in the last Bond film, didn't it? I think it so. did. It did indeed, as a classic, as a classic. So. Okay, fair enough. Then so, so, so moving on from the LG phone onto the uh, the press conference. Yeah, I love the press conference. I, I think. I mean, have a seat. Comes... Have a seat, Stu. Let's all sit down. <laughs> Stark comes back, and um, I, I think knowing kind of what you do now when you see Obadiah staying, that, that he's so pleased to see him. You kind of think, obviously, he's not that pleased to see him, but he hides it extremely well. Um, and Stark starts saying that he's been over there and he's seen our soldiers die um, through our weapons. Um, and uh, he's obviously going to stop manufacturing weapons that will kill people. And that goes down like a real lead balloon, especially with a uh, stain. So, and, and the, yeah, the stock goes down as well, doesn't it? In all sorts. Yeah, the stock goes down by something like 60 points and um, Obadiah is losing lots of money. And, and I think, obviously, um, Obadiah was running the uh, the company for many, many years when before Stark took over when he was 21. So, to a certain extent, you can understand why Stain has got such a such a grievance about it, haven't you? Because yeah. Stark was the new kid on the block coming in at 21. No, yeah, that's right. Actually, I mean, I mean, it's not it's not really a copy of, but it's it's a tiny bit similar. Obviously, you know the the plot, and obviously Batman Begins when Bruce Wayne takes his company back, kind of thing. You've got that whole, you know, going on in the, in the background of the storyline. 
Yeah, yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. but this one, it's a much more in-your-face, it's much more prevalent to the main plot, I felt. Yeah, and also you meet Agent Coulson for the first time from um, S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, I completely forgot about that until I watched it again. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, my God, yeah. Obviously, my first introduction for all of this is pretty much when we went and done Winter Soldier, really, when and we started doing the podcast, when I first really got into it. And that, to me, was more noticeable than anything in the film. I was like, oh, my God, I now understand yeah, that, that was, yeah. I, was like, I was like, wow, I now, you know, I now understand it. And, and it's just like, it's just one of those moments, you know, you know, a franchise for films where you just go, now I've got it. It's taken a while and you've got to see other films. It just shows how interlinked everything is. And then it was just like a got you now. Yeah. And I think when you realise how interlinked things are, um, especially from the Winter Soldier, when you re- realise that um, Hydra is S.H.I.E.L.D. and, he t- and it, you then start thinking back at all of these things and how interlinked it really is. I think you get a eureka moment and you kind of think, fucking hell, this is this franchise is absolutely huge and it's been linked in in such an intelligent way that it's not been shoved down your throat and you can still enjoy these films whilst realising that it's part of a, a huge universe, isn't it? It's more. It's like playing, you know, as, as basic as it boils down to. It's like playing Grand Theft Auto. You can go through, complete all the missions, and finish the game. Or, <laughs> or no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> My dodgy analogy. But you go through, you play the game, you know, or any any like role play game like that. But you go through, play the game, and you can finish it. Bish bash bosh, uh, and I, and it comes up and says, "Well done, seventy percent of the credits roll." But if you go off and do all the little side missions and stuff other things start making sense. And it's a bit like you can still watch and enjoy the films for the individual film that it is, the Iron Man story. But if you've watched the other ones, you can then see how it's all interlinked. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very, to be honest, Brian, that is a very good analogy. I do apologize for mocking you. Yeah, you I, I think it's worth it just to get an apology from Graham, uh, from James, to be honest. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see if I can get one every podcast. Shall I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. So, Obadiah meets Stark by the um, the huge original arc reactor, and that's when Stark says he wants to start looking into arc reactor technology. And Obadiah calls him a hippie, doesn't he? And says he's wasting his time, and the real money's in in weapons. And obviously, the arc reactor again is featured in the uh, Avengers movie, where it starts off with them building a new tower and powering. They say they could power a city using the art reactor technology. Again, there's another link into a a future film, isn't it? Yeah. Which again Absolutely. is is fantastic, and it, again it's it's brought up, but it's not in your face that um, Obadiah Stain doesn't understand the the technology side of how the business works, does he? He's mainly a he's a figures man, isn't he? And he yeah, and and that his character is very, very cold and almost becomes, after obviously the press conference, almost becomes the polar opposite of obviously Robert Dan, you know, of of Tony Stark and they're opposing ends essentially, aren't they, after that press conference, after he comes back. Yeah, I think Jeff Bridges is perfect for this role. Usually he can play a really nice guy really well and you don't often see him playing someone who's really evil and nasty and a baddie. And he plays this role really, really well. And I think he's very believable in his role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he builds the, um, obviously he built another mini arc reactor 
which pepper inserts in the body. And again, that's quite an intimate moment between them, like reading between the lines that basically he's giving her his heart and then vice versa. She's putting a new heart in. And that's, I, I enjoyed that moment that she was putting the, she's putting a heart inside his body, but it was quite an intimate moment that he says that you're the only one I've got and you're the only one I trust to do this. And again, you get that chemistry between the both of them. And I thought the special effects whilst they were doing that was really, really good because that's just a, a prosthetic body that she's putting the heart in. Um, and it's just, they use the light to um, hide the, uh, like the special effects, don't they? Yeah. I mean, and, and the concern is in that scene sometimes, would, are they going to try and do it CGI, for example? And I, th- and I thought that was a fantastic example of them actually using real makeup, doing it doing it properly as it should have done, not obviously, you know, not not doing the CGI thing, because I don't think that would have worked as well. Um, and I thought it was brilliant, as you're saying, Stu, the way they, the, the way they, they, they did do it with real effects. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought... All the special effects in this film were just brilliant. And even now watching it, I mean, I watched it three times this week and I was looking for anything that was a little bit dodgy or ropey and just couldn't find anything. But yeah, it says that in the cave, oh, sorry, when um, he says to her, I don't have anyone but you, again, it refers back to the uh, conversation he had with Jensen when he says, who have you got? And he says, well, I haven't got anyone. And, uh, he kind of again he's on that journey to discovering himself and not being or being not being so selfish really isn't he it's not all about him and he's realizing that he has got someone in his life who he cares about because he nearly died he's he's obviously got this thing for for pepper that he wants to who <laughs> wants to continue and wants to invest in because when she says i've got plans for my birthday he said i don't like it when you've got plans yeah so, it's, it's kind of like he you know already type fancies that type thing isn't it yeah, but he's quite happy still then. Um, or before that, it, it, I should imagine he carried on that kind of conversation with her, but he'd still go off and bang someone else. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, but whereas now, he's not. And Stark, obviously, from there, goes off to see Rhodey. And he says he's got a new project, and it's a really big project. But because it's not weapons, Rhodey's not interested. And Rhodey just tells him to go away and get your head together, which friends wouldn't do that that that, and that kind of th- i kind of thought is that a business relationship they've got or is it friends because yeah i mean it made really have to be a bit of a dick didn't it really? yeah yeah and it would have been a completely different story had roadie got on board because he just wanted him to get on board and work with him didn't he but roadie just shut him off didn't want to know so he builds the mark ii suit um and i think it's great i love the the technology that they use to build that when he's flipping the uh the suit around, and also love the like the banter he has um, with Jarvis, which is just a rather very what is it? Just a rather very intelligent system. That's, yeah, that's, that's what it. he's called, isn't it? Yeah, um, and they say it's a tribute to Edward Jarvis, Tony Stark's butler. I mean, I've not really read the comics, so I, I don't know about that. But if that is the case, then I thought that was a good touch. But I love that, and the Mark II suit when he's building it. I thought all of that was great fun when he's he's got the legs on there and he's putting the thrusters on and I, I thought that was brilliant all of it. And it's, it's it's akin to obviously Spider-Man learning to use his powers really, isn't it? I mean the, the, those scenes, him understanding the suit uh, and obviously trying try, trying to learn it. and the mistakes obviously uh, <laughs> he makes he makes. 
Yeah, but the yeah. mistakes are kind of mistakes give the human side to the the superhero kind of um, kind of thing, doesn't it? Not it's not like you know Superman where does something and it's like right okay well you know he's pretty much indestructible um right he picks himself up and brushes himself off or whatever but it just shows that he has a human side still and he still makes mistakes and stuff and you know and it is a suit and it's controlled by him and the computer um rather than you know spider-man or bat or you know like superman that are superheroes or batman that isn't using technology but more using it's still his body to do things rather than an actual machine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Stark builds a suit, and he builds the legs, and he puts the thrusters on at just 10%, first of all, and he flies off into the wall, and then he gets a face full of uh, fire extinguisher. Is his robot called Dopey? It's something, like, it's something like that. It's got some strange name. And he, get, he gets a face full of fire extinguisher, um, which was good. Then Pepper comes in... Um, and she's got the present for him. Oh, that's lovely. Briefly, I've got a heart. Yeah. Um, it, it's his old heart. And again, I thought that was a, a really nice touch. Proof that Tony Stark has a heart. And obviously that plays, uh, once again, no, as with as with a lot of things in this film, it, obviously it, it, that heart plays plays again and, and uh, later on in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then whilst he's doing that, he goes upstairs to meet Obadiah, who then says that the board have put an injunction out for the company um, for Obadiah to really take over full control because they say that he's got kind of, well, he's got issues due to being locked up in a cave and that's why he's made those decisions to to stop manufacturing weapons, which is as we, we learn as the film goes on, which is just another step for Obadiah to take control uh, wanting to build an army for himself, isn't it? It is. And, and, and I've got a question for you, Stu, which I think mm. we mentioned in the Winter Soldier, both you and Graham, actually. Obadiah, is he working against S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is he? Um, is he an agent? And I forgot the name. Who are the other people? Hydra. Is he a Hydra operative? I don't, I don't think so. I he wants I the suit. He so. wants the Iron Man suit. He wants I just the technology. He... It appears he he just wants money and he just wants to be greedy and he wants to be, you know, Barry Big Bollocks. That's what he wants to be. Not that he's not doing it to rule the world, so to speak. He's just doing it just because he wants to be the next Richard Branson. You think so? Yeah. Stu? Yeah, I think um, I think Graham's right. There was no there was no mention, and there hasn't been a mention um, for any of these films with a link to Hydra for Obadiah Stane. I mean. If he wanted to take over the world, he could have um, stuck with Raza because Raza wanted basically the reason why he got Tony Stark um, was to kill him. Then he, then Raza realised who he was and that he was a lot more valuable and that he wanted more money and to trade him in. And he wanted an army of iron soldiers, didn't he? So he could have worked with Raza to start taking over the world. But as uh, Graham said, he didn't want that. He just... He wanted this suit for himself, but he wasn't clever enough to be able to build a uh, a miniature art reactor. So I think it was just personal greed rather than being led by Hydra. I mean, what do you think on that one, James? I think he was. Well, you think he was led by Hydra? Yeah, there's, no, there's no evidence to suggest it. But obviously, after what you see with uh, Captain America and, and and the Winter Soldier, I th- I think if they t- I think um, it's absolutely believable if they had turned around in that film and i know they didn't and basically um like gave you a hint that he was i would not have been surprised at all I mean, that's what i'm saying 
you're not disappointed that it wasn't brought in then? No, 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 no. I'm not because I'm not, they probably potentially didn't even look at it, look into it. But it would have been interesting. I mean, had they potentially nodded to it in the Captain America Winter Soldier, I think it would have been absolutely, absolutely believable. Um, and you know, I'm not saying I'm not, and I, I would not rule out that he was not working for Hydra in some way or another. No, I, I, it would have been, it would have been a good touch um, if he would have mentioned um, like that. Arnim Zola, Dr. Arnim Zola from uh, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And from obviously Captain America as well. Because he was obviously a double agent, wasn't he? Um, working for the Red Skull. Then ended up um, working for S.H.I.E.L.D., obviously still for Hydra. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if there would have been a link in with um, Arnim Zola, then that would have been a good link to all the films it would have been another link to Captain America as well but it didn't disappoint me and no. it, it would have been a nice touch but I don't think it, it doesn't take anything away from the storyline oh no absolutely it, it absolutely doesn't but. yeah so um, so after that then he's obviously pissed off with Obadiah um, and Obadiah wants the plans for the uh, miniature reactor which again he says just let me just give me the plans for it and Tony Stark refuses so then he goes down and works on his suit and works on the thrusters and the special effects when he actually gets it right. So he puts those hand thrusters on and the boot thrusters yeah. and goes around his office. Um, and that was done in, um, what is it? Is it Howard Hughes? Is it in the aviator? Have you seen that? Leonardo know. DiCaprio? No, I don't know. Yeah. I think that was done in his warehouse, but that's irrelevant. Um, when he lands, he goes, yeah, I can fly. I thought that was such a quality line to say. Yes. He's just flown around his office and, he, yeah, I can fly. Yeah. It's just brilliant. I, I can see so much of Robert Downey Jr. there and Tony Stark, just the cockiness. And he's so self-sure. I mean, he's he's a clever guy and I just thought that was brilliant. So, And I love the flying bit as well. When he actually goes out, when he builds the suit, and when he flies around for the first time, I love the idea that they've got of the like the in view camera where you can see Tony Stark's face and you can see the monitor as well. Yeah, fantastic. And obviously that, that that shot we have from then on for the Avengers and the next Iron Man film, you know, you you'll see that shot again, won't you? And it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I I loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I think it it is good because unlike um like Spider-Man, for instance, I'm not a massive Spider-Man fan. You don't see his face, so you lose the the expressions. It's just hidden behind the mask. But um, but no, in this, I thought it was really good. We've just got a tweet from um, The Dog Never Dies, and uh, he's given, or she's given, Iron Man a 2.5. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the tone was all wrong. So uh, I think that's your first one to disagree with, Stu. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean... Uh, at the dog never dies. I mean, I do appreciate your feedback. It's great stuff. I mean, keep them coming. But yeah, anyone who does tweet during our podcast, whether it's good or bad, will always get read out. So thanks ever so much. But yeah, so I thought that was really good. And I thought the flight scene was brilliant. I thought the special effects, I thought when he took it to the max, when his suit got iced up, again, when he landed, and he skimmed off the surface of the road and carried on flying. Yeah, leave it, I, leave I it there. to the edge. Um, and, I, and I love the uh, Tony Stark view, obviously, we mentioned about um, Iron Man. 
And yeah, I thought it was it, it was all good. I was I was really excited watching it, and even again when I watched it um, last night, it was a really great scene for me. I, I was really invested in what's going to happen, and again, look, every time I watch it, I notice something completely different. And, then, and once again, with the ice thing you mentioned, uh, that gives us a lesson and that gives us a clue into what's going to happen, you know, gives us a premonition almost as to what's going to happen later on in the film. Towards the yeah, end. yeah. And again, when he um, he flies, and he's got control and he says, kill the power. And he just falls through the ceiling. He falls through the piano, then lands on one of his cars. Oh, that, that's, that's the wor- worst part of the film for me because he just destroys that really lovely car. I know. Yeah. And then and then he gets a, gets a, gets a face full of... Uh, Fire extinguisher. Yeah. 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 I thought that was absolutely brilliant. So then he opens his present from Pepper and you get the sentimental moment, which is nice. And then he goes to the, um, he goes to the, is it the Disney conference hall party? Um, All I know is it's a party that he was not invited to, even though he was supposedly holding it. Yeah. And before he does that, he chooses the colours, doesn't he? And he takes the, uh, the colours from the hot rod car. Yeah. And Jarvis says, yes, red, really subtle. And I, again, I like the the piss take and the sarcasm from um, from Jarvis. Yes. No, yeah, absolutely. About, about being seen. Yeah, yeah. And again, you've got the cameo. Did you notice the cameo? Well, no. It's uh, Stan Lee. When he goes there, he pats him on the back. He says, hi, Hugh. Obviously, he, Stan Hugh Lee's Hefner. wearing a, uh, like a red velvety... Yeah. Hugh Hefner. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I didn't realise it was it. Now, looking back on it, now, yeah, I recognise yes, him now. That was, that was a nice touch. I love the fact that Stan Lee does a cameo in every, every one of these films, even including the Spider One. It's, it, you know, it, it's more fun than any cameo of Quentin Tarantino in, in a lot of films, I think, for me anyway. Maybe yeah. I'm a geek like that, but. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have a short, a couple liners from Stan Lee than. Quentin Tarantino there in a, oh, South, in a South African accent. <laughs> we still don't know what accent that was. <laughs> but maybe I should get Mrs. J to uh, have a look at that because she'll give me a definitive answer. Ah, oh, brilliant! I think th- we, we need that before the next podcast, G. We, we can finally end the debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll do that. And um, again, Stark meets Agent Coulson um, at the party, doesn't he? And he wants to arrange a meeting. Um, and Stark just says, yeah, 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 it's absolutely fine, because he sees Pepper wearing that dress that she's obviously bought with His money. Stark's money. And um, there's that intimate moment on the balcony as well, when they after they've had a dance. There is, yeah. Yeah, which, again, I really, really like that. It didn't um, take anything away from the film, the fact that you know there is a love interest there, and it's done quite subtly, really. I think it's like a, a staple kind of part, almost, of... Um most of the Marvel kind of things that, you know, films and, and the comics and stuff that, you know, there is a female influence in there. Um, and this is, you know, this is this one. And it always seems to slow that, slow the film only for 30 seconds, just slow the film down. You know, that scene on the balcony just slows it down. And then, you know, then it's, you're back into it. Oh, you know, snap out of it back to kind of reality almost, but it gives it that kind of human edge. And again, you just see that kind of twinkle in her eye and the realization that, you know, it's it's like, well, actually, hold on a minute. He he kind of cares about her, but not quite enough to say anything. And you, uh, and you know what's so refreshing about this relationship that they have together? 
What's that? She what? knows he's Iron Man. There's none of this secret, I can't tell you because you're in danger bullshit you get with the other, which would become such a trope in nearly every superhero film uh, or series at, at some point. And that's what I like it. from the be- Not from the beginning, but pretty much, but, you know, like two-thirds away to the film, she knows exactly who he is, what he does, she knows he's Iron Man, etc. And for me, that is so refreshing to start a relationship like, like that and none of that, as I keep saying, that I can only call it bullshit, that obviously a lot of the films that from did deal with it's just so tropey i don't know what you guys think yeah no i completely agree i think she's very casual about it and um you don't get the the typical be careful and i'm worried about you and stuff like that and, and i think that's quite refreshing yeah i'm glad you agree graham <sighs> I, I... <laughs> that, was, that was more of a moan than anything else i don't uh, I don't, i don't know I, I really don't. I'm I'm having a bit of a Nim moment as well. Um, I thought I'd add that in to sound like Nim, and then I was like, "Wait, wait, wait, Yeah, it is. It is good the fact that she does know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's going to know because that's the type of character she is. It's his PA. That's his. It's the woman, that, the person that runs his life. So she's going to know, but it. It is refreshing the fact that there's none of this. There's none of these casual looks. There's none of this sneaky peeky kind of stuff. Absolutely. And it, but it doesn't change the relationship between them either. I don't no. think. In fact, the whole of the film, it doesn't. It, you know, there's not. Don't treat them with kid gloves or anything like that. It's still PA. Obviously, you know, it develops later on. But it's still, you know, PA and and multi millionaire. But it, it's kind of like well, she kind of like lives with it and and. He grows to love it rather than have to find it out later on or, you know, upside down kiss with a mask rolled up and all that type of crap. Sometimes that annoys me. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And from there, um, Stark meets Christine again from Vanity Fair, um, where she shows him photographs of a town. um, Is it Gomera? Yeah. With Jericho rockets. And they've actually got them. Um, So whereas he wanted Stark to build them since then, Obviously, Raz has actually got his hands on a three sets of Jericho rockets, and she shows um, the photographs of the damage that's been done. And he shows Obadiah, who then basically goes against Stark and uh, says that he was the one who got him um, got an injunction against him, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's when you see his nasty side come out. You know, from that. From obviously you see you see he's not necessarily the person that he was, but from that helpful, you know, I'll take over Daddy's company until his you know trust card, uh, trust fund rich kid comes in. Um, but you know, then you see his nasty side, and then you you really see what what he's in it for, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah, I and I like that. And again, I think it's done really fast. There's no build up to it at all. It's just done. That's it. Then you move on again, and. Um, he realizes that the weapons he's got are there and that he's obviously is underhand dealing um, for the Jericho rockets and that he now knows where it's come from and he wants to do something about it. So he goes out there and um, then this is the bit that I really, really do like when he decides to go out to um, Afghanistan to Gomorrah uh, to kick some ass really, doesn't he? Yeah. It's really good. Uh, and I think that's brilliant. He puts the suit on. Oh, man, I tell you, when he puts that suit on, the crown that the, on the mask of um, that suit, it just is so, so good. And that's what I love when I first watch Iron Man. 
that when he's got the suit on, there's that that mask has got no expression just apart from a frown on it. And I think it's just such so badass. I love it so much. I you're really do. You're getting goosebumps, aren't you, Stu? Oh, I am. I am. It's so so good. And he goes out there, and um, you've got obviously you don't, you haven't got Raza out there, but you've got his kind of henchman, the um, the big fat geezer with a beard. And he's going to the um, he's going to Gamora and doing what they do out there, separating the men. Um, the, the women are going to get taken away, and the children are as well. And then, in amongst that, you hear this roaring like a jet, and they all look up in the air. Then Iron Man lands on the floor, and it's just so good. It really is so good. Even the way he lands, it's just so cool. Uh, funny enough, my 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 little one walked in on that, um, and she 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 likes the Iron Man. She's seen bits of it. When I've been watching it, and uh, she watched all of that, um, I wasn't sure whether she really should or not, but she absolutely loved it. I mean, she's like, she even said, like, oh, you know, Iron Man's coming to save him, Daddy. When I said, oh my goodness me, what's going to happen? Uh, and she, she she loves Iron Man. She told me she wants to marry him as well. So there you go. Oh, there you go then. You can't go wrong there, can you? Multi-millionaire, uh, you'll be set for life. So uh, we won't see you again. <laughs> no, exactly. No. Exactly. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, but yeah, I think um, if you had to put this is probably one of the best moments in the film I th- I, I, for me. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I love the fact that you get to see his not just the uh, the weapons on his hands, but when you've got multiple targets all holding those people hostages, that little shoulder cannon that comes out and just shoots them all in the head, and then he just leaves the um, the big henchman for the people in the village. I should imagine to to hang or beat to death in some kind of some way, some nasty death anyway. Then he flies off and as he's flying through the air he gets hit by a um a missile from a tank. <laughs> yeah, a tank shell. And I think that's brilliant. And when he lands, I just even the noise that goes with all of this, that he gets up and he the t- the tank fires a rocket and he just gets out of the way. And it's all really quiet. There's no music then, just apart from the tank noise. And the fact that he gets out of the way, and he turns around and just lifts his arm up and fires a rocket. But it, what I like is it like a puny, nothing type rocket. Yeah, isn't it? and yeah. he t- turns away, and it's like, and, and nothing almost, and then it goes boom, and then that's that's the really good bit. And it's not tropey in any kind of way. It's just yep. fucking amazing. I love it. Badass, as we we're saying. Oh, it's but, just so good. I love the way he walks away. He swaggers away, and that tank blows up, and it is just. Brilliant, and because of the mask, he's continually got that same expression on his face, and it is just so good. There's no need to see um, Stark's face underneath the camera. The suit says it all for me at that point of the film. But do you think that also the way that he just nonchalantly shoots at the the tank and then turns and walks away, you can still see the attitude of Stark in the Iron Man suit? Obviously, it is one of the same, I know, but... um, you know, you see that attitude, the swagger, the the kind of look, and you know, almost you can go, yeah. Even if you didn't know, you could look at that one scene out of the whole film and go, "That's Robert Downey Jr." Yeah, kind of. uh, and you wouldn't really need to see anything else because you could know that was him. The swagger, the way that you know, obviously the machine, it, he's inside the machine, but you can just almost tell with that blank expression on his face. It's, I think, it's really, really good. It is superb. What do you think of that, James? Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, yeah, uh, the, the swagger. Um, it is, as Graham said, it, it, it is, you can tell it's Tony Stark in there, which I think is so important, and it was so important to get that right, meaning, you know, Tony Stark is Iron Man, with or without, with or without the suit, essentially, and 
that was so important important to get right. Just like with Spider Man, we we have to believe. For example, that's Tobey Maguire, obviously, obviously in, in that suit, and they do a good job there, and this, they do just a good job, obviously, obviously here, in the, and even more so because obviously it's this mechanical suit rather than you know like a just just like something over you, and it's brilliant. Yeah, it's really good, and it carries on from there with the um, the fighter jets as well, doesn't it? Yes, which is an interesting scene where he's casually on the mobile phone to his friend Rudy. Yeah, it is funny, but mm. you know you can you can almost you can see he's making excuses, you know, and then he goes, "No, it's me. It really is me." Uh, and yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah quite quite funny. Yeah, the fact that the planes are there, and uh, he says, "Yeah, I'll just make a call," and the fact that the first person he calls is Tony Stark, I think is brilliant. He doesn't call anyone else. He just knows this has got to be something to do. This has, well, Tony Stark has to be involved in this, and I think that's great. And he says, "Yeah, I'm in the car with the roof down." And he's got two jets just trying to take him out, and he's still pretty casual about it. And I think that just sums up his character. It's time for Stark even in these moments. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely agree. So and also, when he takes out one of the jets purely by accident, he says, "Right, well, you owe me a jet." He says, "Well, technically, it wasn't my fault. Uh, he hit me." <laughs> I thought that was <laughs> that was a brilliant line. How did you write that on the insurance? Can you draw me a diagram of what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, I fell off one plane into another one, and now they're kind of saying it's my fault, whereas that should have been removed. Yeah, the special effects again through this were brilliant. I thought they were really, really good. None of them looked like cartoon. Iron Man or the planes didn't look kind of out of place or too superficial. I thought it was done really, really well. Again, it was just great action. It'll be interesting to see how many, I mean, that scene obviously, but how many of the scenes on the ground were in an Iron Man suit and how many were CGI? Because pretty much a lot of the time when when it was that, you you, you couldn't tell. I mean, you know most of the scenes with the planes are going to be CGI. Iron Man, but when when he's down on the ground, it'd be interesting to see because I felt even with a critical eye, and you know Blu-ray as well. It was for me, it was really really hard. Well, he didn't you know, have an actual Iron Man. He did have a suit that he yeah. wore. No, exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, in terms of some of those action sequences, you know that's definitely going to be CGI with their time. But but to be honest, it was done so well. Uh, you, for me, you couldn't really really tell. You couldn't really tell. Uh, other, no. than, other than knowing, yeah, you couldn't do that for a You couldn't have him fly, really, so that's CGI. But but you still, it's it, everything held up. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and even the robots, when he was actually building the suit, that they're actual proper robots um, who are being manoeuvred by puppeteers. Ah, so brilliant. everything was done down to such great detail, which is why I, I think the film works so much. You're not looking for, to try and see what's wrong and what, sticks out which doesn't look real because to me it, it all looks real and it all stands up oh there you go yeah and obviously um i forgot I for, to be honest i forgot what happened after the jet thing uh, oh yeah it's a training exercise it's a training exercise that's it yeah i love that guys you yeah you just say the usual bs but it's a training exercise and the next thing roadie's standing there saying that yeah it's a training <laughs> exercise <laughs> i thought that was absolutely brilliant it kind of makes you wonder every time you hear on the news there's a yeah, exercise. You know, what, what is actually going on? Yeah, how much actually is a uh, a training exercise? But yeah, I thought that was um, I thought it was particularly stupid. But yeah, so it then goes to Obi Dyer 
who I think he knows. Well, I think he knows it's Tony because he looks it on the news, doesn't he? Yeah. About what's happened when um, Rhodey's on telly saying it's a training exercise, and by the look on Obadiah's face, you get the impression that he knows Stark's involved. Um, so Stark, I think Stark says to Pepper then that he doesn't trust anyone or might be skipping ahead. Well, um, no, he gets de-kitted first. <laughs> and then Pepper walks in and he says, let's face it, you've seen me doing worse things. Yeah, this is not the worst thing you've seen me doing, yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought that was, again, with another quite a sarcastic line. So it's then that Obadiah goes to Afghanistan to meet um, Raza, uh, who obviously takes his, I don't know if he takes his henchmen out there with him or he there from Afghanistan as well. But he goes to, well, Raza thinks he's going to go and seal the deal with regards to giving him some iron soldiers in turn for giving him the uh, the iron suit that Stark escaped with. But he uses that little gadget that um, causes paralysis, doesn't it? Yes. Which I think is quite a cool little gizmo that for 15 minutes you're just helpless. You're sat there and you've got to take whatever this person's going to give you. And I thought that was that was quite a good little touch, really. I'm glad that was used again. It was used on Stark, but I'm glad that was used again because that was quite a cool little gizmo. <laughs> Every home should have one. Yes, every every female should carry one round in a handbag just in case. <laughs> that would be that 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 would be better than a, a, any kind of alarm, wouldn't it? You know, render any a, render any attacker. Unfortunately, it, it will be used for ill gain as well. Um, it, it would be. It would be used for practical jokes, which um, which wouldn't be too too much fun. I, I don't know anyone that would use it for a practical joke. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. You'd, you'd use it and hide me in a cupboard or something, wouldn't you, for 15 minutes? We'd no. wait till you were in a toilet, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 there you go, there you go. <laughs> so he gets um, the the suit back, and he says um, he wants Sector 16 set up. This is what uh, Obadiah Stain says. So obviously then he starts, he's got his plans and then Stark asks Pepper to hack into the Stark computer system because he knows Obadiah has been dealing under the table and he he wants to find out what's basically happening. So Pepper then goes to Stark's office um, and downloading on a, a USB. And then Obadiah walks in and he can't really raise any proper suspicions because she's in Stark's office, which obviously wouldn't be strange. But it's quite a... I suppose for for Pepper's sake, it's quite a tense moment that is Obadiah going to see what she's downloading and will she be able to escape in time? And I quite enjoyed that part in the film because it's quite a, a, it was the first kind of major role in the film that um, Gwyneth Paltrow had. It does give a bit of a bit more, you know, kind of like I suppose, tension in a little bit, doesn't it? And it and it does it shows that you know how committed she is really to Stark. Not just not just the company and stuff, which shows her commitment, her passion really for for him, you know, and doing it for him because he can't do it. And uh, yeah. you know that the, the good over evil almost it, it shows through in her as well. Yeah, because Stark says to her, like, "I finally know what I have to do and like, who I have to be. Um, I know what my heart's or my heart says and." It's kind of when he says, "I finally know what I have to do." It really made me think of the Avengers because the real turning point, and for me, Iron Man was the the star of the Avengers, and it's it was his first kind of I want to be a superhero, and 
this is it and it just went on from there so pepper steals the uh, the files and she is going to get caught but unknowingly and just by pure chance she's saved by agent colson who's waiting for her from the pre-arranged appointment um that he made with tony stark absolutely and what i want to mention again once again we avoid the typical trope that happens where the bad guy steals kidnaps whatever the good guy's girlfriend what is he gonna do about it it doesn't happen i thought it was when i first watched it and i was like yes yes it it didn't happen and it really did it no not at all and as you say it was great because it got that relationship built up um that carried on uh into the Avengers with um, Pepper Potts and Agent Coulson. Because when he comes into the room, she says, hi, Phil, in the Avengers. And they've got, obviously, a very good relationship. Uh, And I thought that was really good. And Pepper now knows about Sector 16. So uh, the next bit is Obadiah then goes to Stark's house and uses uh, the paralysis gizmo and steals his heart um, or the miniature art reactor, um, leaving him to die. And... I thought that was really, really good that he didn't kill him because he could have killed him. Obviously, it would have been shit because that would have been the end of the film. But you could always get around the fact of why he didn't kill him. Because to me, if if, if Sophie would have shot him, that would have raised a lot of questions. But if he just took his heart, then it would have, they could have just easily said there was a problem with the like the art reactor and it killed him and it would have been a lot easier to explain, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, it, it would have been. And, and it's also true of the Nazi side to him. He didn't kill him. He, uh, he, in his head, he's... I'm, I'm, he, well, he's going to die slowly, isn't he? And painfully. Yeah, I mean, it was it was convenient that he did tell him everything yeah. before he died. But, again, that didn't take anything away of the usual... He could have just killed him, but, yeah. oh, no, I'm going to leave you alive like doing James Bond. I'm going to tell you everything that I'm going to do. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, like, what you expect me to do? I expect you to die, Mister Bond. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I'm now going to leave the room and not watch you die, but just take it for granted that you are going to die. So, yeah. but again, you could to be, be fair to him. Though, but... To be fair to him, though, Stu, um, let's, you, you take away his heart, knowing that he probably doesn't have another one. You, I think it's definitely a fair assumption. You know, you walk out of that room thinking, yeah, he's dead. Surely. Sorry, you you just died then, James. Did I die? Did I die? Yeah. I was going to say, it's a fair assumption that he walked out of the room thinking Tony Stark's dead. Yeah, exactly, because he never went down to his workshop, so he doesn't know that he's got another heart or no. what he's done with it. So, yeah, as I say, I've invested so much into this film already and enjoyed it. I, I certainly wouldn't be critical of the fact that he's going to leave him to die, and that's it. So, but it's Rhodey in the end who well, kind of saves him as well, isn't it? Yeah. And I like the fact that the the computer and Jarvis pick up the heart when Star can't reach it and give him the heart, allow him to put it back in. I thought that was a really nice touch. It was, it was. It was. Um, Tony Stark does have a heart, thanks to uh, thanks to Pepper Potts. Exactly. Who saves the day inadvertently, just as, a, just as a nice person she thought, and actually it goes on to save his life. So Yeah. Maybe that's because she has saved his life in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, but what I do like about it, it makes Tony Stark vulnerable to the point where this react, this arc reactor isn't as good as the other one. How how much can that iron suit? I mean, it leaves so many questions and makes the what appear to be invincible Iron Man 
when he returned to Afghanistan, a lot more, a, a lot more vulnerable. So it's not, for example, like Superman. You know, he's almost indestructible. It's very difficult. You know, he's got this Iron Man here. This superhuman robot clearly has a clear weakness going into obviously at disadvantage. He's the underdog, very much so, going into the going into the fight. Yeah, exactly. And because uh, the heart he puts in is only up to something like forty percent or something, isn't it? Yeah. So and later on in the film, you when you see the, the actual size difference between Obadiah's uh, robot and Tony Stark's Iron Man is a huge difference. So Rhodey tells Stark that Coulson's with Pepper and they're going to um, arrest, which is quite lame, really, Obadiah. And Stark says that it's not going to be enough. So then he puts on the suit and uh, he goes to basically save uh, Pepper Potts. And I like the tension from when... Well, they are then the agents of Shield and Pepper Potts go to Sector Sixteen. That it's quite dark in there, isn't there? And that yeah. they, they they found this like the original suit. Um, and Pepper's walking around, and it is dark and it's very quiet. And she walks through those chains, and suddenly this huge robot, I mean, like fifteen foot tall, just stands up and uh, chases Pepper out of the building. And she's obviously contacts Stark to say that as Lowry says, that shit's just got real. And he's just about to, to kill her and Stark flies through the air and basically saves her life. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the fight they had out in, uh, is it Los Angeles? It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And Los Angeles, and the fact that it's not just flying through the air, it's on the ground as well. And they're punching each other and he uses cars and he picks up cars to try and put on there and Stark saves him, lifts the car up and saves his people. We were going to Bertley then go and run him over. But uh, I know, I know, but it's, it's exactly what Superman didn't do in Man of Steel, really. Um, You're not really bitter about that, Steel. Oh, of course not, of course not, of course not. But, but, any, any opportunity you get, just knock it. But unlike the ridiculous <laughs> Superman, unlike the, I, I will, and I will continue to do so. But... Um, you really felt, and it really felt like these two robots, well, you know, men of metal, were really going to it, and it felt really, it, it felt believable in, you know, in the in the film, in the Marvel universe aspect of the film, which I thought was good. Yeah, I thought it was a cracking fight. I, but I it could have gone, it could have gone wrong. They could have done it so badly. That's what I mean. The potential, the potential, there was a lot more potential for making it really bad, cheesy, whatever. But they really pulled it off. Sorry, Stu. No, it's the same because a lot of films when they run out of ideas, they have a massive fight and then try and pull the story back after the, the huge fight. But for this film, it was, I, I just thought it was really good. And it was nice to see, um, Jeff Bridges actually involved in some action at the time. Um, she's always been quite corporate all the way through the film, but I, I just like the use of the cars and everything else. And the fact that, Stark is weaker and he's aware that he's weaker and when they flew up in the air I also like the fact that when they, their suits got iced up that he says to Obadiah he didn't take into the account of the ice and he said well what ice and then he falls out of the sky and again I mean that was a bit of foreshadowing when he did it before yeah. but it still worked really well for me and I still really enjoyed it and it took me a while a couple of watches to because at the end of it they have their fight and uh Stark's got his face mask off and he's um, he's hanging just above the art reactor and he asked Pepper Potts to overload the art reactor and I, I couldn't work out what that would do um, whether it was a case of but it was just what it would do to um, 
Obadiah Stain, how it would kill him, but it just electrocutes him, I take it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and he, he just falls into the arc reactor and he dies, and he does die. There's no... He comes back out after, he's just dead, and I like that fact at the end of it that he does die and he doesn't do the traditional tropey. you think he's dead and then he comes back to life and files a missile or something like that. He's That is it, he's brown bread. And I, I just really like that, and I like the fact that the art reactor came into it at the end, which has been the key point of the whole film, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and Tony Stark just about lives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was going to say that he was going to die, do it anyway, but obviously he didn't die, and that was a lot of fuss about absolutely nothing. But again, I, I thought it was a really good fun fight. I thought it was well choreographed. I thought it was really, really good. Also, it leads on to the end of it, Obviously, Colton and Rhodey, they prep Stark, especially Colson does, for the press conference of what to say. And these are your idiot cards. Just read these out and nothing else. Um, and we'll say, they said it was a bodyguard. That's what they were going to say. That was, yeah, a bodyguard uh, suit, wasn't it? Yeah, a bodyguard suit. And I just like the fact that as soon as <laughs> Tony Stark <laughs> walks out, that he says, some may call me a superhero. He says, well, no one called you that. And he said, didn't they? It just—he can't wait to say, and the fact that the fact that the last thing he says is "I am Iron Man" is superb. I think that's absolutely brilliant because it's so good, it's so refreshing that he isn't someone behind a mask. He's not Spider-Man or Superman or or anyone else. Everyone knows he is Iron Man, and for me, that's such a refreshing change that he is who he is and. It is brilliant, and that was just such an original idea at the time to say that, and no other film really around at the time actually did that. And for me, it, it capped off a, a fantastic film. Well, to be honest, at the end, it's and but the thing is, he goes, he goes out there and he says at the press conference, did he? Oh well, what happened last time? I think I'll stick to the cards, and you kind of think, all oh, right, he is actually going to go down the route of <laughs> yeah. that, you know, the whole. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what that is, blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, his ego does take over. You know, that's when you see again that the sweat. And then it's, you know, like, I am Iron Man. At the beginning, when he, you know, when he shows off the missile, and he stands with his arms out like, Jesus. Yeah. Right, yeah, he gets knocked over by the wave, and it's quite funny. But he then basically just doing another, you know, look at me moment, isn't he? And he's like, so what? You know, it's like it's like if Batman ever turned around and went, "Yeah, I'm Batman," type thing. You know, yeah. but obviously it would never happen. And um, you, you just be like, "Oh, okay then." But yeah, I think it's really, really good and it gives a good ending and f- start for the next film. Yeah, I just the only thing missing was I'd like to have seen the look on Agent Coulson's face when he said, "I am Iron Man." I think that would have been a a good touch as if to say, for fuck's sake. Oh dear, what's he just done? Yeah, what, what, what have we got ourselves into now, boys? Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that is Iron Man. I mean, it's, I thought it was a fantastic film. I mean, James, what's your best and worst bit in your score for the film? Well, it's getting, it was initially, I, thought, I was thinking a 4.5 initially, but I think I've got to give it a 5, which is better than Batman Begins. But the only reason right. why I'm giving it that 0.5 that point five is because I think compared to Batman Begins, we see more Iron Man. There's a lot of Iron Man, him as Iron Man. Where when you look at Batman Begins, it was a you could there's an argument to say it was a better origin story, but there was a lot less Batman, as in a lot of superhero stuff in, in there. 
And that's what I thought was so brilliant, obviously, about Iron Man. They pulled off a fantastic origin story. Um, it didn't become the whole film, uh, you know. I mean, this film was almost broken down into three different acts, really, wasn't it? I mean, the yeah. origin bit, him him becoming, you know, the Iron Man, and obviously the final, the the final fight. Um, brilliant. Uh, the the best bit, the, the, I think, the, well, the whole film was the best bit. The fact that the best bit, they avoided so many tropes, and it could have gone so wrong, and and, and it got they they did it so right. It's everything Man of Steel wasn't had to get that final dig in there. Worst bit, if I had to pick one, was just I just thought the product. Placing was a bit annoying, but not really that much take away from the film. It was just, I don't know, made me tut, maybe. Absolute worst. But there you go, it's a five. Fantastic. And yourself, uh, Graham? I would probably say four and a half. Um, so it's what, you know, one of the, it is one of the better films you know, you ever see. Um, there's, there's no real let, I can't really give it a five out of five um, because I don't want to follow James, really. Um, but. <laughs> You know, uh, but, uh, you know, you know, there is nothing in that film that ruins it for me at all. Even you know James's product placement and stuff. Um, I think the reason why I give it four and a half is because I had to rent it off iTunes at three pound ninety nine. That's the only reason because I couldn't find DVD. Uh, that's, that's the only reason. That's gonna be the worst reason. iTunes, you cost Iron Man one point five. Uh, 0.5 but um, apart from that I think it's an amazing film best bit is most of it really to be honest and the way that as we said earlier the CGI and the actual suit that he wore merge into one you, you, you know it is, it is pretty much probably as seamless as you can get the time that that took is you know amazing so uh, for, for that yeah it's just a phenomenal film but i do resent a 2008 film and i've got to pay three pound fifty to rent it only for 48 hours on itunes oh bless your little heart bless your heart before i give my score which you probably know anyway obviously in the post credits you meet nick fury don't you you do yeah and he says you think you're the only superhero in the uh, in the world you've become part of a bigger universe he says i'm here to talk about the avengers initiative and for me again I just went fanboy about that as well. I just thought, man, this is just taking me back to how I felt well, when I saw the Avengers. So, to, to, talking about um, things like that, Shield wasn't actually called Shield in this, was it? They, they, they named it. Um, I forgot what it. They, they, yeah, they but it was, it, he said at the end of it, it's Shield. It's the abbreviation yeah. for Shield, isn't and, it? And it was that point when he finally says, because um, there was a joke made out about how ridiculous that name sounds. Yeah, it, it's yeah. It's something Homeland. Strategic Homeland. I, I can't remember. I mean, I wasn't going to refer to it in the podcast because it's too anal to do that. But <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but yeah, I, I just refer to it as Shield because that's what Colson calls it in the end. But yeah, I mean, my score, funnily enough, is going to be five out of five. Because oh, that's a surprise. I never thought that was coming. <laughs> I know it's not like an Iron Man tattoo at all, is it? No, no, nothing like that. No, and uh, I just thought it was brilliant every way. I thought. Um, from the casting, the acting, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. The special effects, the humour, the pace of it was spot on. And it was the the first introduction for me to Marvel and the cinematic universe and so many more fantastic characters. And since then, brilliant films and characters that I'd never even heard of, especially the ones in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And again, it hasn't let me down. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was a, a fantastic film. And I thought the idea of getting um, John Favreau in absolutely paid off and it was brilliant. So, 
yeah, so to me, it's a thumbs up all round. I, I can't really think of a worse bit. Maybe it wasn't long enough. I don't know, but I just thought it was great. So, and next week we will be doing Iron Man two again. Uh, this was John Favreau's last film. So he didn't get involved in Iron Man three. So, and we can talk about our reasons why we think that happened next week. There you go. Hopefully, Nim will be there next week, and uh, we won't have so many audio problems. Well, we never know. Nim might have been here tonight. He may just be asleep. We don't know. We, we honestly don't know. He might be here, but nobody's heard from him, so he could just be asleep in a corner somewhere. Him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, eventually we got there in the end and we actually recorded it. So, uh, yeah, kudos to everyone for, for getting that done. Brilliant. Well, it's goodbye from me then. That's goodbye from me. And it's good night from me. Thanks very much. Day 11, test 37, configuration 2.0. For lack of a better option, dummy is still on fire safety. If you douse me again and I'm not on fire, I'm donating you to City College. All right, nice and easy. Seriously, just going to start off with 1% thrust capacity. In three, two, one. Please don't follow me around with it either, because I feel like I'm going to catch on fire spontaneously. Just stand down. If something happens, then come in. And again, let's bring it up to 2.5. 3, 2, 1. Okay, this is where I don't want to be.